So you're very welcome, Dan. Thank it's you. Fantastic to have you with us. Um, I've known Dan for a number of years now, um, and Dawn as well uh, studied with Dan at Spurgeon's Baptist College in the south of London. Um, but Dan, do you want to just say a little bit about who you are and uh, maybe why you're here with us this morning? Yeah. My name's Dan, as Luke just said. I'm a Baptist minister, but I'm also kind of a regular guy with a regular family. It's expanding, actually, at the moment. I don't know if I have a picture of them on the, the overhead there. Do you want to, or was that the next question? Yeah, there you go. Okay. It's fine, you go ahead. So normally, normally I hang around with this bunch on the left-hand side. It's my wife and uh, I had three kids until recently. A little baby just born four weeks ago called Talia. And, um, and so we um, work with an organisation called BMS, World Mission, and BMS World Mission is the sending arm, the overseas sending arm of Baptist churches across Great Britain. So that means that includes Bloomsbury Baptist Church and you support BMS because you're a Baptist church and you've been doing so for a number of years and really thankful, which means people like me and people like you can go overseas and proclaim the good news. And uh, we'd happen to be doing that in Albania. Um, if you don't know where Albania is, and I forgive you for that, because to be honest, when someone mentioned Albania to me, when I was thinking about you know, serving with BMS again, I wasn't quite sure. Uh, if for those in England, we'll, sometimes we go on holiday to Corfu. Corfu's a little island, almost like uh, the Isle of Wight is in terms of di distance from Albania. It's right on the coast, sometimes you can see Albania there. You can swim it, if you're good at swimming. Uh, for our American friends, I think probably if you know where Greece is, you're familiar with that, or Italy, it's opposite Italy, and just above Greece in the Balkans. And I don't know if I've answered any other question. Yeah, it's thinking. great, because then I can just kind <laughs> of stand here and smile and nod and go, yes, it's great. So primarily we're there simply because um, the churches there said, look, you know, we want people to go and help us reach out to groups of people that are just not coming into traditional churches. There's huge amounts of poverty in Albania. Um, people living on rubbish dumps, trash sites, I don't know what you call that in the States, a place where you dump your rubbish. You can imagine going down to your local municipal dump, rubbish dump and finding small children there. In our first year of Albania, we suddenly realised that that wasn't a reality. And we wanted to do something about it and set up an organisation that you guys here support called Techora. And we will be learning a little bit more about that later on. Thank you. So Albania is some, uh, a country that's really close to my heart. I've been visiting Albania for a little over 12 years now, working alongside BMS, but also with independent charities over there as well. Dawn and I have mentioned some of that before. I think if there's one kind of, if there's one thing that you'd want to share about Albanian lifestyle, Albanian culture, what have you learned? How long, because you've been there for a number of years yes. now, like what is, it's a you know, year. yeah, four years. So what is a kind of insightful piece of information that you can share about Albanian culture for people that probably don't really know where it is and have only kind of half heard about it from me and Dawn? Yeah. So Albania was under, a, a, I suppose it's an atheist state under a guy called Enver Hoxha for many years. A lot, maybe perhaps you all know that, so I don't know. Some of you may know that. In the late 80s, early 90s, it split away from it, became open. And I suppose going to Albania, lots of people said, hey, it's, it's been open to the church. So I'll ask you a question in a roundabout kind of way. Because I suppose what I've learned is that God's always been doing something in Albania, way before the Protestants went there. Stories of God's love in people's lives, people giving their lives, not because they're Catholics or Orthodox or anything else, but because they love Jesus. Under, under Hodge, lots of people died for martyrs. And hearing and seeing God at work before we've even arrived on the scene and being touched by people's hospitality. Luke can tell you lots of stories of meeting very, very poor people, but showing outpouring of hospitality and love 
that's been a real lesson to me. Often I feel like I'm preaching at people, but actually I get addicted to hearing what they have to say. Their stories of God's love already there in Albania. So I would say God's love in existence already for we've arrived on the scene. Great, thank you. Yeah. Well, without wanting to kind of prelude the sermon any further, thank you very much. We want to take <laughs> a seat you. and we'll hear a little bit more from you later on. Our reading, uh, our first reading today is from Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 4 to 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the shalom of the city to which I have carried you into exile, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its shalom you will find your shalom. Our next reading is from John chapter 10, verses 7 to 11. Therefore, Jesus said again, very, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. First, I just want to say uh, what a privilege it was to hear uh, the guys from South Carolina I've got some friends in North Carolina, and I'm going to have to tell them to up their game now, because that was very good indeed. I'm going to be going back and saying, you know, oh, these guys, they're amazing. Thanks also for the readings and having us here. It's a privilege to be here at Bloomsbury, Church of the Great Tradition. Hope I'm not going to ruin that. <laughs> um, I'll do my best. Um, can we just start just with a, a quick uh, prayer? Is that okay? I will say, gracious God, we give you thanks this morning for this time to come together and worship and ask you stand with us today to let the words from my mouth and our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts show us what your shalom really means to all of us. Amen. So, just read some verses from Jeremiah beautiful pieces of scripture this morning, but I don't know about you, I find it a real challenge. Sometimes the gospel stories are difficult because Jesus seems so totally different in that context, so different, his, his context is so different from our own these days. But here we're reading something that happened 500 years before Christ. So who was Jeremiah. What was all that story all about? What does it mean to us? Well, the book of Jeremiah is a story of Jeremiah's witness to the destruction of Israel by Babylon and the beginning of the Babylonian exile. For 40 years, 
Jeremiah was the priest and prophet who led Israel, who passed them through this really painful and terrifying period in Israel's history. And what we read today is part of this letter written by Jeremiah to this exiled community, an attempt to breathe a little hope, a little life, into something, I suppose, of despair that they were feeling. But what Jeremiah tells them is something they really don't want to hear. I'm just going to read this again for you. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear their sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So here we are, exiles waiting and they're waiting to see how God is going to liberate them from these nasty Babylonian oppressors. I imagine them sitting there with their bags ready, packed, waiting to go, waiting for something to happen, watching, waiting, not just waiting for anything, they're waiting to be liberated. They're waiting for the return of Israel. So they get Jeremiah's letter, and it gets to them, and they hear God tell them to settle down. And I can imagine they're horrified by that. Why are they horrified? Because they want to go home. But God is telling them, no, no, you can't go home. You're going to stay there. Stay there, but not just stay there. Build homes. Grow food. Get married. And this is not what they want to hear because they're not in Israel. They're in this foreign place. This is the place of their exile, the home of their oppressors, of their enemies. Jeremiah's message is not a revolutionary one, though, folks. Jeremiah wasn't telling Israelites to stand together and revolt against these nasty tyrants who forced them into exile. And I don't know about you, that, that's, that's quite difficult for me. I kind of like that sometimes. I like the bits where Moses goes and tells Pharaoh to let my people go. I like it when Jesus turns over the tables in the temple. There's something about it that appeals to me. But in this particular place and time, God has given Jeremiah another message to share with this exiled community. But seek the shalom of the city where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its shalom, you will find your shalom. Shalom. We talked a bit about that, haven't we, from the reading earlier, what it is. Lots of different translations in English, but I'll just give you a few words to describe that, a few synonyms, synonyms I suppose. Things like welfare, completeness, to cause, to be at peace, to make peace, peace offering, at rest, at ease, secure, safe, to prosper, to be whole. Words that often used when we think about shalom. I also like this description. Shalom is the active presence of, God's, of God resulting in the wholeness of life. Shalom is life, full life, as God intends. Shalom is a social order in which justice and prosperity are assured for all. 
Basic needs are met and the powerless are not exploited. Where God's presence is the bedrock of peace and well-being. I like that. And so this word is loaded with heavy, holistic meaning. Peaceful living that Jeremiah uses here in this letter to the exiles, he's not saying just build houses and duck your head down. Go ahead, plough on, just, you know, just get through. He's saying, rather than longing for this past, rather than longing that something that you really thought was best, waiting for God to do something in that kind of Exodus style, send plagues upon the people and liberate everyone. He says, I want you to go back. I want you to settle down with your enemies. I want you to, to make a life there amongst them. This is the time and place to do that, whether that's your choosing, my people, or not. Of course, this story is kind of ancient history, isn't it? But I think, I perhaps know that there's lots of you who know what it's like to be isolated and alone from time to time, maybe not now, but periods in your life, to feel things have been certain things have been taken away perhaps whether through selfishness or sinfulness because of someone else or perhaps some catastrophe that's happened in our lives sometimes the case some of us also know what it's like to live in a hostile environment you don't need to be in Albania to, to face that it can happen in our own neighborhoods can't it in our schools and our workplaces sometimes and that's difficult. God is asking people to settle down in those environments. So we read Jeremiah's letter, and it speaks to us even though we're outside the context of exile. We read that Jeremiah's a letter, and we see God calling us to live this life out in our community, where we find ourselves to believe, where we find ourselves, whether that's difficult to believe or not. It's not just some sort of crazy thing to demand of us to go out, or perhaps it is a crazy thing that God's asking us to do, to go out and build this life amongst our enemies. But well, here we are, perhaps 2018, sometimes sitting around, feeling a bit miserable and exiled ourselves because of situations that sometimes feel ourselves in. Just like the Israelites were sitting on the side of the road. Perhaps bad still packed, still waiting for God to do something. And perhaps that's the message to us too. Perhaps this is not the message we want to hear. Perhaps we want God to intervene. But God is saying perhaps to us today too, the same thing. We are Christians that are called too to be people of abundant living. As Jesus said, and we read in that verse, I came that they may have life and life in all abundance. Have it abundantly. God, through Jeremiah, was calling the Israelites to live to a life of abundant living too. That's what shalom is really about. Shalom is abundant living. It's about looking at our circumstances around us instead of seeing and retreating inside ourselves, shutting ourselves off from the outside world, 
live as God people in the community we find ourselves in. I want to give you a couple of examples of that, of people that are living or feeling like living in exile in difficult situations from where I work at the minute. Part of an emerging church, a church that wasn't there until very recently. And lots of the people that are living in Toronto where I work, um, on the edge of the capital, at a suburb that's often known as kind of the armpit of Toronto. People don't want to live there. They're living there because they've had their homes bulldozed, cleared by slum clearances. Or they've come to Tirana because to try and find work. Most of the people I work with are from the Roman and Egyptian communities. They're, they're despised a lot by, by the majority of the people in, in Tirana. They find it very, very difficult. And so they know what it's like to be marginalised. They know what it's like to feel it in exile. It's not where they want to be. They're living in a place where they're treated quite badly. A way of example, we run a little... A number of pilot projects. One of those pilot projects is working with groups of families, of young families. And at the end of a stay and play, or sessions of stay and play, which is basically coming to our centre and learning through play with toddlers, we decided we'd take them out for a special treat to a local cafe where they can do some kids' play area and stuff like that. And so we took about seven families to this little cafe not far from where we're working. And before we could even get to the cafe, a man ran out to them and said, we don't want your type here. Is that in that kind of English, obviously in Albanian. But he made it clear to those people that because of the color of their skin, because of their ethnicity, because they're not the kind of people he wants in his cafe, they should go. That wouldn't be so bad, actually, if it wasn't for the other two things as well that make it even worse. Because a lot of those people know that's what people are like. They come to accept that that is the kind of Babylon they live in. We went to see the man beforehand, told him that their family is coming. He knew that. As soon as they came, he shouted this at them. And speaking to the, the, the families afterwards, he said, would you like us to do something about it? Would you like us to go and speak to the police? And he said, no. This is just what life is like for us. This is what it's like in exile for us. This is what it means to be a Romani person, it means to be an Egyptian person living in this community. And I could tell you lots of stories about the hostilities faced by people in our community. But while many of those people have really felt that kind of story, what it means to be in exile, what it means to experience real discrimination, there have also been real signs of people seeking God's shalom in this little area of Toronto called Kathy Aramis. It's remarkable to think when we begin, when we began to bring people around a table in Kathy Aramis, people from different ethnicities, most of those people have never, never sat together. We, never, we, we started with a small group of people, you'll see a video in a minute. People just not used to sitting with people who are so other. And we're seeing real signs as we bring people together of God's shalom at work. Praise God that after two years later, people not sitting together, refusing to sit together because of different colours of skin, they're now serving and worshipping 
serving one another and worshipping God. They celebrate with one another. There's a great sense of security, of being cared for and loved. There's a greater sense of abundant life in that community, living out a dream of God's shalom in the time of exile. When we first started out, a lot of the people we work with had every reason to give up. Even really poor people, as I said to you earlier, live on rubbish dumps, live in the most poorest of circumstances. I guess I would feel if I had, if I was, if I had experienced heavy discrimination every day, I might want to bear arms, pick up arms, do something physical about it, maybe, or just plough and keep my head down and do nothing. A lot of our projects, you might be excused for thinking we're doing it to those communities. We go in there, we set stuff off, we do it to them. The thing we found so encouraging is that our projects of people do it, we're doing it with them. Those people are joining us and they've decided to make a choice. They're not, they're not just going to sit back and do nothing. They're in exile, but they're going to start believing that God loves them. And actually part of being loved by God and loving our neighbour is, is to make a different choice. This choice for Shalom, do something about it, to start living life there in Cafe Aramis. We've seen people and signs of God's shalom there. And I'd say it's, it's remarkable for me as I reflect on that to think most of the people, they wouldn't share the same room as one another when we first started. We had, we had meetings where people just simply wouldn't come and sit next to each other. And two years on, one of a miracle's taken place, I think. You know, people's hearts have changed. People that hated one another are now serving one another. So praise God for that and so we've had to be kind of patient part of that process but we've had to be patient teachers I suppose of people with really discriminatory views one of the things I find very inspired by this church and I think you face some of that as well some of the stances you make as a community here is that instead of shouting people down our community try to listen and understand others even when they're being persecuted Sort to practice our faith through action, though, believing that God loves all the people in Tirana and He wants to see the communities, everyone flourishing. And so, communion, too, has been really, really important. I don't know whether you know much about South Africa. We certainly, know, we know what apartheid looks like. We've heard those stories of South Africa of people not wanting to share the cup with someone of another colour. And Albania, for lots of people, is the same. We have communion. It's really important that we do that and we share the same cup. And so we're holding the same cup regardless of the colour of our skin. People with, from the Roman Egyptian community know that they're included, they're acceptable to God. Both, and that's important both inside and outside the church. And our project seems to act, or well, try to act out what it says in verses 4 to 7. The simple actions of building houses, planting gardens, and getting married speaks of what it looks like to be part of God's people, even at an ugly time. We run a time bank project, which is a bit like a volunteering program, really. People give time. Most people, we work with are quite time-rich, quite 53% unemployment. And other people have lots of needs. And so we've, we've matched people up. Someone come to us the other day and said, Dan, you know this loving God and loving neighbour, does, 
do you think that we could do that? And I said, oh, that's a brilliant idea. Let's do that. So I heard stories about under communism, how Navy used to help each other build the houses because there wasn't resources. As so we started this, this time bank uh, project. And things like that are making a difference. It's not about just volunteering. It's become about sacrificial giving. People in community giving to one another. So it's included things like things of people organically starting to clean the streets, clean their, their own roads up, mend each other's houses. We had, we had a decision to make a little while ago. We've got this sense, this meeting place you saw there, and we could have got some guys in to paint it, and we, instead we thought, no, let's, let's ask our community. And they came in and they painted it together. They haven't got experience of painting. It wasn't the best paint job, but it was a paint job and it was theirs, and it built ownership and it brought us as a community, different people, closer together. Brought down some walls, built some bridges. Our community forums do the same thing. We, we, we meet in a local betting shop, sort of place that lots of Christians in my community wouldn't go into. They wouldn't even look in. Those are the sort of people you don't hang around with. It turns out that God's doing something in our local betting shop. It's a place where refugees come to get to charge a phone or get a new pair of trainers or a T-shirt. It's a place where communities come to be listened to and together we started doing social action projects that made a big difference to them. Street lighting, we didn't have it, got running. Can you imagine living without running water? 18 families in our community live without running water. The local forum together, a little campaign, and got the water reconnected. Shalom happening in Café Ramos, in the local betting shop. We would have thought it. And God's love touches our lives, and God's love touches South Carolina, or Bloomsbury Baptist Church. What happens then? Lives transform, don't they? Church happens, and I know people here have been praying for us, and our numbers have grown, and church has happened too in Café Aromas, and that's, it's been addictive to see that, these lives being transformed. It's been a delight recently to baptise, to have our first baptism. You saw that on the video, didn't you? Young lady being baptised in a really difficult time. She was sold into prostitution as a young woman, passed around groups of men. She spent the last few years living out the local bins to find scraps of materials to sell for less than a dollar a, dollar a week. We baptised her. She said, Jesus is my everything. I was standing there crying. Didn't see that in the video. Everyone was standing there crying. Why is that? Because it was, she'd genuinely, be genuinely been touched by God. Her life been transformed. And see, even though she's an exile, even though she's discriminated against, she knew something of God's wholeness, completeness, God's shalom. Jesus is my everything. And what's even more challenging than that is this woman, despite all those, she wants to go and build a community, even amongst the people that hate her, because she's other to them. It's an example as we seek our shalom in Kafir Ramos. Example, maybe for you as you seek your shalom here, your own challenges in South Carolina. Maybe it's with the people of North Carolina, I don't know. <laughs> We're called to live as God's people wherever we find ourselves.
whether it's a time and place and a circumstance, in, of our, circumstance of our choosing or not. Albania and this church and America too. And we see this morning in Jeremiah what is, and what is happening in Cafe Remus about a need for interconnectedness, don't we? The theme there isn't there in what's going on, interconnectedness. And I think this is the revolutionary message. It's not taking up arms. It's actually trying to be interconnected even when we don't want to, even when it's really tough. A new way of living for us, a way of shalom, it's counter to the way we can live. We've recognised that. Recognise that we need to try to live abundantly as Jesus has called us. We can't just sit on our hands. We can't just bury our head and plough on. We have to try and reach out to our community, reach out also to the people that don't like us, the people that don't think we're church, that don't really like everyone to have the message of acceptance, of love. And so we have to pray for them. We have to invite them round the table too. That's hard, isn't it? Build relationships with them. Learn to love them until there isn't a them and us anymore. Have you done that? You've sat with people that are so other. I can take some examples. a very inspiring man at the front here does that. You'll know what's sitting with other people who, who dislike you, hate you sometimes. Speak to Luke at the front here. That's, that's shalom in action. And this is challenging. And so as we seek shalom in our neighbourhoods, I've got some thoughts. Just I'll leave you. I've nearly finished. We need to have a vision for our world, but especially for our own community. A vision for your place in South Carolina, Bloomsbury, a vision as God intends it to be. One, we need to have a realistic understanding, too, of the world for this place as it actually is at the moment and feel the tension between the two of those things. And thirdly, I think we need to, to work in this place, wherever we are, as it actually is, but in order to move it nearer to where God wants us to be. It's easy, right? Are we inspired to do that? <laughs> I think there's some things that we've found helpful as we start to think about how we might do that. Firstly, is that we can, we can pledge, we can promise to be God's presence, to work for shalom and be an example of that shalom in our own communities. We can, we can pledge to pray and promise to pray for even our enemies put that into action. Let's be open about it. Let's be honest about who those people are and pray for them and ask them to pray for us. And thirdly, we can put our shalom into action to acts of mercy and advocacy, community building, economic development, to work for a better world that's closer to what God wants. I know at this church that's something social justice you're very passionate about. And lastly, not less, we have a lastly and not least, I guess we have an imperative New Testament too, although Jeremiah doesn't explicitly say that, to be bold, bold proclaimers of the gospel, of this gospel that is about God's shalom. It's about Jesus embodying that and what that means for our community. 
It's not, shalom is not this intangible dream that we can't realize. It's out, out of our reach. Jesus promises that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is possible. You do these things, you're working for God's shalom. When you put your faith into action, you're doing that. There's some sort of inner tranquility. When we talk about peace, not this inner tranquility, that those verses mean drawing it near to things that God values. Reordering our priorities and empowering others to pursue holy living. The power of the Holy Spirit enables us to do some of those things, breaking down some of those barriers, some of those walls and building bridges for people we didn't think possible. Jesus embodied God's shalom in all of his life. May we seek the shalom of God in our own lives and may it envelop us and the world around us. Let's pray. So gracious and loving God, we give thanks for the opportunity to glimpse your message of love this morning. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here today from different parts of the world. Enable us to live out that message, to seek the shalom of the city wherever we are, to be people of God at all times and all places. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is sadness, joy. Make us instruments of your shalom. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. God of Shalom, who brings wholeness where there is brokenness, peace where there is war, healing where there is hurt, we come to you now in prayer. We delight in the work of BMS World Mission, seeking to share the hope of your kingdom to all of your people. And we today especially thank you for the work of Dan and Annie, for the sacrifices they have made, their steadfastness in your gospel, and the community which they are creating in your name. We pray for the whole family, for Karis, Isaac, Amaya, and Talia, and for the wider family at Tech Ora, those that work there and face the challenges of those suffering in poverty and unemployment every day, those that seek community through a growing faith, those who are in desperate need to feed their families. God, who sent the Holy Spirit to empower and inspire we pray for a richness of Albanian leadership to grow steadily and firmly in the community of Cafe Aramis, for wisdom in decisions, and for peace in the hearts of those building the kingdom of the now and not yet. God of Shalom, who brings wholeness where there is brokenness, peace where there is war, healing where there is hurt, we come to you now in prayer. We delight in the joy of being a people of community for the life and ministry of your church here at Bloomsbury. We pray for our ministers, Simon and Dawn, and for their families too, especially Liz and Simon. We pray for our paid staff team, for Doreen, James, Salvita, and Andy, and for those that serve your people here as officers, deacons, and volunteers. 
We are grateful for a family so rich in skill, so dedicated in serving, so abundant in love. And through that family, we seek to discern you and your call on our lives as one church. Inspire us to be bold witnesses of transformation in your name and of radical inclusion and affirmation in a world that demands conformity and challenges the very core of our faith, which is to love one another as you have loved us. God of Shalom, who brings wholeness where there is brokenness, peace where there is war, healing where there is hurt, we come to you now in prayer. We delight in a world of endless beauty, a created world of treasures still yet to be discovered, of beauty unable to be contained, of inspiration that words cannot describe. We pray for a renewed sense of your stewardship amongst your people, a reminder of the charge to protect, not to rule. We think of those affected by global warming, of the hot weather here in the UK that limits mobility for many, of those who are lamenting the loss of life in Japan due to flash floods, and those who fear natural disaster and the heavy cost of recovery after. We seek to be peacemakers in a world of war, a world of injustice, a world of suffering. Looking back at the last week and acknowledging those who took to the streets to celebrate Pride in London, and then a week later to march in political protest. Thank you for the freedoms of this country that allow us to join the throng of democracy and lend us the wisdom we sorely need to be effective disciples in that melee. We pray for those in Gaza who face yet more bombings and are threatened with more, for those caught up in the siege in Nicaragua and the loss of life and damage to mental and emotional well-being there and for those countries that seek to engage peacefully in reform that brings change to tired old ways. For Cuba, Albania, and even here in the UK, as our elected officials steer through the tricky waters of Brexit. God of Shalom, who brings wholeness where there is brokenness, peace where there is war, healing where there is hurt. Hear our prayers. Amen. <laughs>